We are in the third week of the series we've titled Strong in the Lord, where we have been looking at this armor that God provides for us. You know, but I, I want to I pause for a second and, and just pray once again, if you would. Father in heaven, we do gather in the name of Jesus, and I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart would be truly pleasing in your sight, that my words, they would be your words, that I would not speak, that, that they would not be your words. Let me speak everything that you would have me say and nothing that you would have me not say. I pray for all the hearts gathered here this morning, including my own, that we would be molded and shaped by your words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I mean, you know, my parents raised me to, um, to respect the things that they gave me or the things that I had. And, and you probably were raised in a similar way. And we learned as we were growing up to protect those things that have value, you know, like your baseball glove or your bike or, or your allowance, right? You protected those things that were valuable. And as we got older, we, we learned this lesson and we took great pains to protect, and we still do, the things that are valuable to us. You know, for example, like we buy automobiles, right? And we don't buy them without locks on the doors, right? We buy them with locks on the doors. And oftentimes you opt for that security package that deters thieves from taking your car. And we even build rooms for our cars. And we call those garages. And we actually put doors on those rooms. And there's locks on those to keep our valuable possession safe. Right? We do the same thing with our homes. We, we put locks on our doors, and sometimes we even buy large dogs or security systems to keep our possessions safe. Right? We protect what is valuable, and the things that are most valuable, right, we actually contract with another organization, and they put it in a steel box with a big door on it, and they even have people that they hire to protect our stuff. So the things that are really valuable, extremely valuable, we will go to great lengths to protect. Let me, let me explain it another way. So in our neighborhood, every Wednesday is trash day, right? Every Wednesday or Tuesday night, we roll this can out to the end of the driveway, right? It's filled with garbage. And, and we put it out there and we leave it at the end of our driveway completely unprotected, right? It's in a can and it's got a lid, but there's no lock on it. In fact, we put it out there. So that people, and in fact, a certain person comes along every week and takes it. And we want him to take it. Why? Because it has no value to us anymore. It, we, it's useless. It's garbage. So you can see that we will go to great lengths to protect what's valuable, and the things that aren't, we, we really don't protect. You know, the same thing was true in, in Roman times. The Roman government went to great lengths to protect its most valuable resource, and that was the Roman soldier. The Roman soldier was one of the most valuable resources in the Roman Empire because it was on their backs and through their sweat and blood and lives that the Roman Empire conquered the world. And being that they were a valuable resource to the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire went to great lengths to protect this resource. With great amount of financial resources they constructed and with talent and equipment and with all kinds of ingenuity, they, they equipped this soldier from head to toe in armor to protect them as they fought on Rome's behalf. And they were a feared fighting machine, and they were equipped with world-class technology at the time. And one of those pieces that we're looking at today is this breast piece. And this armor was given to them by the Roman government 
to fight on the Roman government's behalf, to keep them safe when they did. And that's what we've been looking at in this series, is how God has given us armor because we are in a battle. As you heard in that scripture, our our battle isn't against flesh and blood. It's a spiritual battle. And so he's given us this spiritual armor. And today we're going to take up this breast piece to understand this breast piece. And, And to do that, I'd like to do that in three different ways. I'd like to ask three questions. And the first question is, what is this thing? What does this breast piece protect? What is it there for? And the second thing is, is that what is it made of? And the third question is then, how do we wear it? So what does it protect, and what is it made of, and and how is it that we wear it? And I think the best way to understand that is to actually look at the physical piece of armor that Paul was looking at. Remember, Paul is in prison, and his guards would have been Roman soldiers, and they would have been dressed in this armor. And so Paul uses this metaphor of Roman armor to describe to us something that is real. And and each one of these pieces has a purpose, I believe. And I think he he shows us that and reveals that through this text. And this breast piece is protecting something. And so to understand what this spiritual breast piece is, I think we understand the physical one that Paul is looking at. Well, the Roman soldier's fighting, right? And he's fighting against people who have spears and arrows and swords and clubs. And, and so they're given all this armor. And this breast piece protects this part of the body, right? It protects the chest area, the torso. And within the torso is one of the most important organs in the human being, right? It's the heart. But it's also one of the most vulnerable, right? Because an arrow, a sword, a spear to the heart and game over. <laughs> no more soldier, And so this breast piece, which this model here is a replica, but it was like the fourth or fifth generation of breast piece that the Roman government came up with. And this was high tech. There was nothing else in the world like it. It's like the best Kevlar that you would find today. And it was designed that way to protect that human heart within the Roman soldier. Well, Paul's looking at that, and I believe in a similar way, he's looking at the human Christian. He's saying, but within the human Christian exists a heart. But he's talking about heart as we talk about the heart today and as the ancients talked about the heart, and not just a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense. When you encounter the, in the Bible, you encounter this word heart over and over again. It's one of the most used words in Scripture. But oftentimes, it's not dealing just with the physical heart. Most times, it's dealing with the spiritual heart. And we, we would describe that as these internal, the inner person, the, the thoughts, the emotions, the will, the mind of the person. It would be the inner self. And another way to think about it is like who you are, right? That, that, that's the heart in the spiritual sense, who you are. And I believe that's what Paul's talking about, and that's how Scripture describes the heart, which is why you see over and over again Scripture reminding us to guard our hearts, you know, not just our physical hearts, but our spiritual hearts, because they are vulnerable and important. And, and just like the Roman soldier, our enemy knows our vulnerability. He knows what's vital to us, and he also knows where we're vulnerable, which is why I believe Paul says to put on this breastplate. He knows we're vulnerable there. And so, which is why he often attacks us 
there in, in who we are. Some would say our identity. He attacks that. And how does he attack it? He attacks it by getting us to put our trust in that identity, and that identity can be found in the world around us. The way Satan attacks our identity, he says to us, well, you decide. You decide who you are. That, that's the best way in this world. To, and and look, look at the world around you. All of this could be yours. Right? Where have you heard that before? All of this could be yours. You, you just have to be smart enough. You just have to work hard enough. You just have to have the right address. You have to have the right job. You have to have the right income with the right friends. If you do all this, then you will have arrived, and, and you will know that, but better than that, everyone else will know that. Everyone else will know who you are by what you have. But that seems like a risky gambit, doesn't it? It seems like it really would make us more vulnerable, not less, which is why I think Jesus says in, in Matthew chapter 6 that, you know, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Treasures meaning what's most important. You know, where moth and rust and thieves come in and break in and can destroy and steal. Why would you put what's important, what's so vital in these physical vessels, right? Why would you, why would you put them there? He says, no, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust can't destroy. Thieves can't break in. Your identity is secure there. You, who you are, one of the most important things. Store it up there. Place it there. Put your hope there. Because where your treasure is, what is most important to you, there your heart will be. There your heart will be. And Satan knows that. And so his lie, the way he attacks our identity, is to get us to put our hope and our identity in the things of this world. But we can see that really doesn't protect the heart, not, not the human heart, not that inner person. It really makes it more vulnerable. No, Paul says that this breast piece can't be made of, of the things of this world. No, this breast piece must be made of righteousness, right? But <laughs> it's like, what does that mean, breastplate of righteousness? And, and this is how righteousness is defined. And maybe you've thought about this, maybe you understand what this means before, but I want to go through it again. Righteousness is a relational word. It exists only in relationship. Righteousness is the fulfillment of the expectations in any relationship. You get that? It's like it, it, it exists only in relationship, and you are righteous when you fulfill the expectations of that relationship. Let me, let me explain it this way. Like, I have those kind of relationships here in this world, right? I have a relationship with my bank. Terry and I have a relationship with them. We've sat down and, and we filled out mortgage papers, and in those mortgage papers are laid out the expectations of both parties, like what we will do and what the bank will do. I pay my mortgage, my bank allows me to live in my house. And when we do those things, you can say that that relationship is righteous because we live up to the expectations of that agreement. We also experience that in relationships with one another, like in marriage, right? We, we exchange these things called vows at marriage, and it's a covenant relationship where we both agree that this is what we will do and this is how we will meet the expectations of the marriage. And when we do that, it's a righteous relationship. We, we live up to the vows that we, we made to one another. We also have that kind of relationship with our employers, right, with our jobs, or maybe with our employees, if you are the owner of that company. 
right? We have this relationship. As an employee, I agree to show up on time. I agree to do my work. I agree to do everything that my boss asked me to do. In, in, and then in, in relation to that, what he, what he agrees to do is to pay me for that work and a set amount that we agreed upon, right? And, I, and, I, and he would do that regularly so that I could pay my mortgage and do those other things. And when that happens, that relationship is righteous, but we all know that that is precarious as well, right? Because what happens? I mean, all that need happen is something like, I don't know, a pandemic to come along, and all of a sudden that job that I worked 20 and 30 years at showed up every day, never took a sick day, always on time, always did my job, now doesn't exist. And so then that relationship that I counted on for being righteous is is unrighteous and, and is no longer there. Or take this example, marriage, right? We make these vows and our, our promise is to be righteous in this relationship, but yet one of the partners says, ah, you know what, we've been married a long time and I'm kind of tired of this and I found somebody else and so I, I'm, I'm leaving the marriage. And the relationship is no longer righteous. But, but see, here we're honest. It's not just the other party, right? If we're honest, I mean truly honest, we look at that like employer-employee relationship and we say, you know, if sometimes if I'm honest, I mean if I'm honest, okay? It's like, you know, when I'm supposed to be online, you know, because we got this COVID thing going on, I'm working from home and I'm supposed to be online throughout the day. And sometimes, I mean not all the time, but sometimes when, I'm, when it looks like I'm online, I'm really watching Netflix. Or, you know, sometimes when I tell my boss that I'm sick, well, I'm not really sick, but, you know, I might be sick mentally, but I'm not sick. And in both those cases, right, the relationship, it isn't righteous, right? It's, it's my making the relationship unrighteous. I've made it what it, it, what it isn't. And so the righteousness that Paul's talking about can't be this relational thing between humans because we can't. We can't maintain it. But remember, it says in any relationship, righteousness, and, and we think about that, we're in a relationship with God, right? And God is the truly righteous one we read in Scripture. He is the righteous one. He always keeps up his end of the bargain. From the very beginning to the very end, he will never fail. He is the truly righteous one. He will meet every part of his expectations that he said. He will fulfill them fully. And some will say, because he's done that, he's given us Jesus, and now we have Jesus to cover our flaws, now it's up to us to meet the rest of the expectations, right? I mean, he's made us righteous, but now there's this righteousness that we have to live in, and when we, we do that, when we hold up our bargain because we couldn't do this, but if we could add to that, now we can have a righteous relationship with God. But again, if we're honest, that doesn't work. Why? Because we're involved in the relationship, because we can't keep that perfectly. We're going to let him down. Which is why Paul says this to the Roman church. He says, for no one can ever be made right with God by doing what the law commands. We can't, I don't care where Jesus gets us to. If there's a gap, we can't make it up. 
Because we can't be declared righteous. We can't be declared right in this relationship with God by what we do. Because we will always come up short. So what is Paul talking about? What kind of righteousness are we supposed to fight off the devil and walk in? This is what he says in the verse following that to Roman church. He says, but now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law. It's like, what? It's like, I can be made right with God. I can be declared righteous, and I don't have to hold up my end? That's what he's saying. He says, as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago, he's saying, that's always been the case. You will not be declared righteous in this relationship with God on your own. You will always require God to make you righteous. And that's why Scripture says, Now the righteousness of God has been revealed. Now God has revealed the true righteousness, and that is Jesus. Scripture teaches us that it's Jesus that comes and fulfills the law perfectly. He's the one true human being, God incarnate, that actually lives up to the relationship with God. And that relationship, because Jesus does everything He fulfills every requirement. That is now a righteous relationship. And in that righteousness, Jesus defeats sin, death, and the devil by going to the cross as an innocent person and giving his life for the guilty. And now scripture tells us that he offers that righteousness to everyone through faith as a gift. To all who believe in Jesus, to believe in his righteousness, that his righteousness covers mine. And so Paul is saying, put that on. Put on that identity. Put on Jesus' righteousness. That is the only righteousness that will defeat Satan's arrows. That is the only righteousness that will defeat his attacks. By saying, my identity is not found in these things. Or these people, it's only found in Jesus. That's where my true identity rests. That's where it is secure. That is the identity in which my relationship with God has been made righteous. And I don't have to worry about that. Because that's locked away in heaven. Where moth and rust can't destroy. Where thieves can't break in. And that's secure. And Paul says... That's what you walk in. That's what this breastplate, this spiritual breastplate is made of, is the righteousness of Jesus, not my own. So my third question is, so then how do we, how do we live in this righteousness? You know, some would say, well, this is a great deal because <laughs> I could just act any way I want because I've been made right with God, even if I don't make the requirements. I mean, how sweet is that? I can get paid my allowance and not do any of the chores. But Paul's answered that question, you know, because he was asked that question by the church in Rome. And it's like, well, wait a minute, you're telling me I can just keep on sinning? He's like, no, no, no. He spends the whole book of Ephesians up to this point in Ephesians and says, so this is what God has done for you. Now this is how you should live. But be careful. There's there's an enemy that will, will kind of take you away from who you are. You know, think about it like this. It's like being a prisoner for your whole life, and then you're set free. 
you're, you're let go and you're, you're out into the world. You no longer live in, pri in prison. But as you live as a free person, you continue to live as though you're a prisoner. You wait for somebody to tell you when you can go to the bathroom and when you can eat and what you can eat and what you can wear and where you can go. And you don't do anything without somebody telling you, but, but you're free. And people would look at you and say, well, wait a minute, you're not in prison anymore. You're free. You can live this way. And that's what Paul's saying. And that's what Scripture tells us. No, 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 no. You're not that person anymore. You've been set free. Why would you keep living like this when you're this? And that's what Scripture tells us. We've been set free. We don't have to live like this anymore. Why are you keep falling for these tricks from Satan that says, well, no, no, that's a, that's a, that's a fool's bet. No, it's not. Paul's saying, live as you have been created to be. The old is gone, the new is here. So how do we do that? Well, there's a text in, in the Old Testament. It's the prophet Micah. And prophet Micah says, this is what the Lord requires of you. is to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. What does he mean? Well, that word justly there is that word right. Righteous. Remember, it's a relational word. This is a relationship that we're in with God. What does God require of you? To act justly. Right? We're to remember that God is alone righteous and we walk in his righteousness as Jesus would walk in his righteousness. And we, in that relationship with God, because of what Jesus has done, we should treat our brothers and sisters and the world around us righteously. We should live up to our end of relationships. We need to seek to fulfill the expectations in our relationships with one another, as Jesus would. And we are called to love mercy and we love mercy because Jesus had mercy on us. God had mercy on us. And, and therefore, he calls us to have mercy on one another as he has had mercy on us. We are to treat one another as he has treated us mercifully. And finally, he says we are to walk humbly, to walk lowly to live in this relationship with God, admitting daily that I'm not God. To live thankfully with him, worshiping him, thanking him for the righteousness that I have in Jesus. Remembering that it was a gift. And walking humbly with him means going to him every day and admitting that I can't do those two things perfectly. I can't treat everyone justly, and I can't treat everyone with mercy. I try. And we go before our Lord every day, and we admit, God, I want, I so much want to be just with my, my, my boss and my wife and my family and my children and my neighbor. I so desire, and I tried today. I really did. But then this guy came out of nowhere in the parking lot, and I wasn't very just. I wasn't right. And I, I want to be merciful, Lord. I, I truly do. And I know you have shown so much mercy to me, but I, I, I just, just lit into my child today. I just lit into my, my, my employee today, and I, I wasn't merciful at all. I showed no mercy. 
And, and we, we fall to our knees and we go before our God every day and we walk humbly by repenting of those sins. And we, we repent to him and we say, I'm not perfect. I can't do this by myself. I need your help. To which scripture tells us that he is faithful if we confess our sins that he is faithful and righteous. He'll hold up his end of the bargain and he will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness and, and lift us up and say, I know, my son, when you are weak, I am strong. When you are unrighteous, I am righteous. Don't listen to that voice that says you are less than. You are valuable in my eyes. That's why I've given you this righteousness to remind you of whose righteousness you walk into and how valuable you are to me. And I spared no expense so that you could live in that righteousness and that security. Jesus goes on in that parable in Matthew, and he says to us, he says, look at the birds of the field and look how your father feeds them and yet they don't store up for themselves. Or look at the flowers in the field. I tell you that Solomon in all of his splendor could not have been dressed as beautiful as they, but yet you are more valuable than these. Do you not think your father sees that? Do you not think that he sees that? He goes on to say to him, he says, but then seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all of these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will take worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't worry about all these things. Your heavenly Father knows you need these things, but they're not ultimate things. Don't worship these things. Your hope, your identity doesn't reside in these things. It resides in heaven, in his kingdom, in his righteousness. Seek that first. And daily. Seek that first. And you will be able to defeat Satan. You will be able to stand firm when you are tempted to place your hope in these things. You will be tempted to worship the, the created thing, trading it in for the uncreated thing. And, and this identity, this righteousness, this realization that you are right in this relationship with God because of what Jesus has done will cause you to stand strong in that day of evil, in that day of temptation, in that day of attack. You sit here today and you figuratively stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ if you call him your Lord and Savior. If yet to meet him, I'd like to close our, prayer, our time now with a prayer for you. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I pray for everyone here today that they could know that you are the truly righteous one and their identity is secure. And there's nothing that anybody can do to take it away. They can't even take it from themselves. In their minds, we've been given this lie that says our identity is, is, is held in these things, and it isn't. So, Father, this morning I ask that you would just continue to encourage us, continue to strengthen us, and make that road between our head and our heart a short one this morning. That this truth in your word can inhabit our hearts, not just our head, and it can affect everything in our lives. And I pray for those here this morning that are still trying to struggle and understand who you are and what you are. 
I pray that you would reveal yourself this morning to those that are seeking you and that your truth would beckon them to come and to give their life to you, someone who has given your life for them. Father, I thank you for your righteousness, for always holding up your end, even when we don't. We give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.